All right, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 John. We're continuing this series in the, in the book of 1 John. Grab your Bibles, go to 1 John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, we got people who would love to get a Bible into your hands. If you forgot your Bible or didn't bring a Bible, throw your hand right up, gra- grab one of these. If you don't own a Bible, take one of these home as our gift to you. Grab a copy of God's Word, whether, whether it's a paper version or your iPhone or something, but just get a copy of God's Word open before you in John chap- 1 John chapter 4. The title of this series we've been in is it's called What Really Matters? I mean, it's, it's a great question to ask. You know, what, what is it that really matters? I mean, we, we can become so distracted in life that we can, we can miss the important details, right? I can become so fixated on my stupid phone that I can miss my family right in front of me. Anybody else can say, yeah, me too, right? We, we can become so distracted or so overwhelmed by, by work that, that we, we miss out on what's important, what, what God has for our lives. We can be some co- so consumed with so much, whether it's entertainment or social media or hobbies or struggles or so focused on our comfort or our needs, our desires, our past, our finances. We can miss so many things that have such huge importance for us. Let let me even say this, not not from a personal perspective, from each one of us individually, but even from a a church perspective. Listen, we can become so distracted by building a church building that we forget what really matters, that God's called us to build a church, right? What really matters? What about your life or my life will have this lasting impact? What, what, What will it look like for us to be able to say, man, this is what my life is all about, so I love digging into 1 John because he's laying out for us what really matters and he's, he's circling around this idea and he, he does it in a way of, I hope you're reading along on your own just kind of studying 1 John as we unpack it on Sunday mornings, but he writes in a way where it shakes you out of the, the numbness and the monotony of the distracted life we live. This morning, we're going to be digging into a section of the letter here. It's, it's going to sound familiar if you've been coming out on Sundays listening because we've already talked about what John's going to talk about here. Just a few verses earlier, we have already talked about this. Now, why would John, led by the Spirit of God, become so repetitive in this letter? And I kind of feel in our culture, in our time, we, we kind of have this, hey, just give me what I need so I can go on with my day. I don't want to read the book. Is there like a blog about the same thing that I can just kind of get through it? I don't know about you, I listen to podcasts on one and a half speed. If they're talking slow enough, it goes to two speed, right? I want to get through it. I want to get the stuff. So why would, why would John, in writing this letter, go, hey, let me circle back on this, this topic again? I got to believe that God doesn't waste his words, right? That maybe there's something so important. Maybe there's something that matters so much that God's saying, I, I want to circle back on this again. I want to circle back on this call to love. That love really matters. I remember the first time that my heart did a backflip when I, when, I, uh, when I realized how much I loved my wife, Libby. I mean, if, if you're married here this morning, do you remember that time? That, that time you first saw them, you kind of did that, oh, right? And then you, you do the dumbest things, right? Love makes you do the most ridiculous things because you see them, you're like, wow. Now, I believe that, that God's saying, hey, hey, he wants the world to walk in here into this group of believers and, and say about his bride, the church, wow. Man, look how they love each other. Man, I, I, I want to be a part of that. I, I want to spend the rest of my life with that bride, that bride of Christ. Christ. 
There should be that, that immediate reaction that, I mean, Jesus even said it himself. He said that, that people will know that you're my disciples by how much you love each other. So what's it look like? What's it look like for us as a church? We're, we're not a perfect church. We don't, we don't live out love perfectly, but, but man, we wanna strive towards that, don't we? So where do we come up with this crazy kind of love to love each other in this way? Well, if you've got your Bibles open, let's read starting in verse seven. John says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved of God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify the Father was sent, has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is also, so are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You can see from this passage of scripture here this morning that there's a few things we can, we, can, we can pull out from this. Here's the first of you taking notes. Right away, John says, beloved, let us love one another. Here's the first point, I'm called to love. I mean, this is the call of God that he has for all of his children, this call to love. Now, you may not be called to be a pastor. You might not be called to be a deacon or an elder. You might not be called to, to serve and harvest kids or harvest youth, or you may not be called to be a missionary to go out into the, the nations of the gospel. But listen, no matter who you are, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, if you are a Christ follower, if you call Jesus Lord, you've been called to love. John repeats love so much in this little letter. 43 times he uses the word love. In the passage I just read to you, 28 times he uses this word love. It's a command. We're to love each other. Jesus says in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Not a new suggestion, not a new idea. Not, hey, here's something for you to consider. Why don't you try love? No, he says it's a, it's a commandment. This is what you're called to do. And, and the word that John uses here for love, he had a lot of words to choose from in the original Greek that he was writing in. There, there were different words he could have chosen for love. He, he could have chosen a family love. 
It's called storge in the Greek. It's, it's a family. It's a, it's a love that a mom has for a child or, or family has for each other. There's a, there's a love there. He could have chosen a love based on physical attraction, eros. Because you look good, I love you, right? He could have chosen phileo, which is a love between, between friends, a love between people who share similar interests. He didn't choose that word at all, any of those words. He, he chose agape love. Agape. It's, it's, it's this love that chooses to give love, a love that chooses to serve, to care, to, to love as a choice no matter what, no, ma- no matter if the person even deserves a love at all. That's agape love. It's an unselfish love. There's, there's nothing self-serving about that kind of love. So much love in our world today, it's, it's transactional, isn't it? If you do this, then I'll give you this. I'll love you more if you're like this. And John says, no, no, no. No, the kind of love we're called to is agape love. The kind of love that we have. The kind of love we're commanded to. So here's the thing. I can't say that I'm, I'm serious about my relationship with God and not be committed to, to daily faithful sacrificial love. I can't say that I'm, I'm super serious about following God, but, but I'm not so committed to that daily act of sacrificially, actively living out love. The two go together. You can't separate them. So for us as a church, again, we're not gonna be perfect as a church in this. We, we've failed in this. I've failed in this. I mean, there are some amazing stories that come out of our church, though, of, of people who have loved this way. And this is our call, that we're called. This is what really matters, that we love like this. Now, this is what can, can make church hard sometimes, though, right? Because we're not called to just come and hang out. We're not called to just, hey, why don't you come and just, just absorb? No, we're actually called to come and participate, to actively love. We're, we're called to come and listen, to know the people that sit around you, to know their hearts, to know their hurts, for, for them to know you. They, you, you. You don't just come, hang out for a bit, and then take off again, but you come, you're like, man, I know those people deeply, and they know me deeply. I know their struggles, I know their needs, and then not just know them, but then you act on them, and you love them. So again, you can't say, man, I'm so serious about my walk with God, and then not daily, actively pursue faithful, sacrificial sacrificial love. Now that truth's hard, isn't it? I mean, to have that kind of love, where you have that kind of active love, to, to love the unlovable, to love sacrificially, that is a hard command. I mean, I thought back on my week, even just this past week, and thinking about that's the command. And then my heart felt heavy. I mean, I'd, I'd love to stand up here and say, I nailed it this week. Perfect agape love. I couldn't, I'd have to look this way because my family's over here and their eyes will roll so hard, they may go right back into their head and they'll have to fall off their chairs, right? I didn't do that this way. And so I'm reading this and going, man, God, you're calling me to live out this kind of love, but man, how do I do that? Where do I get that kind of love from? Where, where's the resource for this? Look at verse seven, it goes on. Beloved, let us love one another. But then it says this, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. I mean, it, this is humbling and encouraging at the same time. Humbling because it, it shows me I don't have this kind of love. In and of myself, I'm not gonna naturally do this, but it's so encouraging to know, wait a minute, God is love? He has a resource for me? 
this impossible command to live out this kind of agape love? God's saying, yeah, but I've got the resource for you. So yeah, for sure, we're commanded to this kind of love. We're called to this. But here's our second point this morning. We have a resource for this love. We have a resource for this love. You and I don't naturally have this, this, this unending resource to sacrificially, actively love people. We don't have it in ourselves. A, a love that's deeper than just being nice, all right? A love that's deeper than just kind of the smile, grit your teeth, say, I love you, but inside you're kind of angry or selfish or you're just bitter or you just want to move on, right? No, no, like a deep, true love. Look what John says. He says, love's born of God, from God. God is love. I love that he says God is love. He doesn't say God is loving, and God is loving. That's true. But, but it's more than just an adjective or a verb here. He's saying, hey, the very meaning of love, the very definition of love, finds its source in God. It's his nature. The, the, the characteristic of God that saturates all of who God is, that permeates all of his attributes, is the, the bullseye when you want to describe God is saying God is love. Now, remember, he doesn't say this, though. You've got to understand, he doesn't say God is only love, right? Because is God holy? Yeah, God's holy. Is God just? Yeah, he's just. But if, if John had said God is holiness or God is justice, that presents a problem for you and I. Because in our sin, there would be no way for us to know God. There'd be no way for us to be accepted by God. But love works in God's holiness. Love works through God's justice. And we see it most clearly displayed, God's justice and holiness and love when we look at the cross of Christ. His love and his justice made so clear. John doesn't just say that God is love, though he says that love is born from God. Now he says it in a, in a positive way and in a negative way. Now the whole purpose John's writing this letter is so we could read this letter and go, man, do I truly know Christ? Am I really a child of God? What is the evidence in my life? And so he says that, that this self-giving, self-sacrificing kind of love in us is, is evidence of God's spirit in you. And if, if that's not the core of your being, if, 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 if that's not happening in your life, he's saying, man, there's no way that God's in you. Because if, if you don't have love, you don't know God. But he says it in a positive way as well. And it's, it's so amazing. He says, listen, you've been born again. You've been recreated. Your, your old self has died if you've given your life to Christ. You've been raised again to a new life so that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so that when you're born of God, when you're born of God, when, when you have been made new and now God's love is in you, you're no longer white-knuckling it trying to love better. You don't have to strive to be more giving. Why? Because you have the Spirit of God working in you, this love growing in you. Look at verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest. You could see it. You could see his love made manifest among, manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Jesus gives his life for you, takes the penalty and the power of sin upon himself so that you can be made new. You can be resurrected with Christ. Why? To now have his love live through you. 
that God sent, God sent his only son. God didn't send a messenger. He didn't send an ambassador, but God himself comes. The second person of the Trinity comes. I mean, let that sink in. I think we hear that so much in church, we kind of forget the power of it. That Jesus came into the world, humbled himself to be born in a barn. More than that, humbled himself to die on a cross, taking our sin on himself. I mean, understand what that means. It means, one, that we are so sinful and broken and such an enemy of God that, it, that, that Jesus, Jesus, God the Son, had to die for us. We are so dead in our sin that God the Son needed to die in our place. But then he rescues us. And God's love has rescued you so that you can love, so that I can love. He, he rescued us from, from needing to find love anywhere else. He rescued us from always turning inward in our sin to love ourselves, to seek ourselves, to want ourselves. He's, he's rescued us from needing to grab other people around us and say, man, you're going to be what holds me up. You're going to be my source of love. And he says, listen, when, when you get that, when you understand that you've been born of God, that you've been set free, resurrected to a new life, he's saying, go there for your source. Align your heart there. I was thinking of it this way. Um, just before March break, we were planning a, a trip as a family to go away for March break, and we're going to leave on a Thursday. And on that Monday, before that Thursday, we, we're going skiing at Hidden Valley. Me and, and two of my daughters are out for, for just a day of downhill skiing. And, and Libby said as we headed out, she said, guys, we're leaving on Thursday for a trip. Do not get hurt. Nobody break anything. So, I mean, just like if it was a classic movie, ba -ba, that's what happens, right? And so we, we're going skiing and, and, and my middle daughter, Eliana, taking um, the dipsy doodle. Okay, it's horrible to break your leg on the dipsy doodle, isn't it? It'd be way cooler if it was on black death of ski. And that's where I broke, right? No, it was on the dipsy doodle. So she's skiing around and this, this other kid skiing beside her starts to cut her off because he wants to get into the trees to ski in there. And Eliana, because she's so nice and didn't want to tackle him, decided to tackle a tree instead. Trees don't fall down when you tackle them, all right? So she breaks her leg full cast all the way from here down to here for, for four weeks, another cast for four weeks, another cast. Like it's, it's this whole process. But here's the thing. As we're looking at the, um, the x-ray of her leg and wondering, is it really broke? Come on, is she just kind of sucking it out a little bit here? And then you see her like, oh man, that's broke, right? And here's the, okay, I didn't say that with her around. <laughs> I thought it inside. Right. It's a sweet x-ray. Um, but here's the, the cool part. The doctor said it's a bad break, but it's a good break. Here's why it's a good break. He said, because the bone's still aligned. It's definitely broken right through, but the bone's still in line. He goes, that's good. You, you, you want to keep it in line because if it's out of line, if it's, if it's like this or like, you know, beside or something, he says, then you need surgery. It's, it's more painful. It takes a lot longer to heal. It's important that that bone is in line. That's why you wear the cast, to keep it in line. What John's saying is this, align your heart to this truth. Seek the source of your love from God. That's the source of love poured out in you. We become unaligned. Our heart becomes unaligned when we start to, in our flesh, when we start to say, I want what I want. I want to be the center of the universe. Our heart's unaligned. I want my needs met. 
You're going to supply this need of love that I've got. And we go elsewhere for love. And then what we're doing, we're, we're unaligning our heart and it's, it causes pain. We start to pray, man, if, if only your heart was aligned right, then I could love you. And we unalign our hearts. I mean, think about how much, how much bitterness, how much hurt, how much anger, how much frustration you had this week because you were hoping that somebody else would be aligned straight. And Jesus steps in, he, he, he rescues us. He sets our hearts straight. He, listen, continues to rescue us, continues to call us towards him. God continues to do that work where, where he, he aligns our heart again under him, seeking him, loving him, receiving that love from him. It starts with getting our hearts aligned to the source of our love. Look, John describes it in verse 10. Here's the source of our love. He says, in this love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, a bit of a big theological word. Here's what it means. It means this. It means that God hates sin, first of all. Because God is holy. He, he has wrath towards sin. And listen, that's good. We don't want God to wink and look the other way at sin. Sin is wrecking our lives. Sin is wrecking our world. Sin wrecks and wreaks havoc on my heart. Man, I don't want God to wink and look the other way. I want him to destroy the sin in my life, in this world. So, so God has this wrath against sin, which I deserve, which you deserve. But instead, propitiation means that he poured his wrath out, not on us, but he poured it out on Christ instead. Jesus took the wrath we deserved. I mean, that's the picture all through the Old Testament. God was painting for us to see when these lambs would come in and they would be sacrificed. They, they were the propitiation. God's wrath, rather than poured out on his people, poured out as a picture on these lambs. And Jesus shows up and John the Baptist says, behold the lamb of God. Jesus comes as the lamb to end all lambs, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. His sacrifice satisfies God's justice towards sin. I mean, so much so, look, look at the result. If, if you align your heart this way and you, you're under that gospel, look at verse 17. By this is love perfected with us, aligned. Our hearts are aligned. Why? So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. He's saying that Christ's righteousness is our righteousness because of the cross. He goes on. Verse 18, he says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So we no longer have the fear and the shame associated with sin because we can turn to the cross. We align our hearts with the gospel, again, the good news. And that fear is conquered by God's love. That's the amazing of God's love. Not that, not that we were so great and God loved us. No, when we didn't love him, God still loved us. Not, not just a shallow love, but a love that, that bore our sin on the cross. Now, he didn't need to do that. He did it because he wanted to do that. Because he, he chose to love you. This is who you are. You're the one loved by God. I love reading through John's account of Jesus' life in the Gospel of John. And you know how John describes himself all the way through that book? He says, the one whom Jesus loved. He never used his name. 
He always, he always referred to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. I mean, that's all of our identity. That's not some unique thing just for John, but that we would be so aligned with, with the truth of that, that, that we would even lose who we are and say, man, man I, I, I'm not Kai anymore. I'm the one who Jesus loves. Like, can you grasp that? That's who you are. I mean, such an incredible love. There's the old hymn where the hymn writer said this about that kind of love. He said, should we with ink the ocean fill? So if we're, we're going to write this out, the ocean is, it's picture the water of the ocean. That's all the ink we're going to be able to use. We're, we're skies of parchment made. That, that's paper. If, if the whole sky, if you look out and you see the huge sky, that, that's the paper we're going to write this on. We're every stalk on earth a quill. That's, that's a pen. So, so every, every blade of grass that they would pick, to, to make every, every piece of straw they would use to make a pen, every one of them's a pen. Every man a scribe by trade. He says this, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole. They'll stretch from sky to sky. That's the love of God. David says in Psalm 103, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's steadfast, never changing love for those who know him. I mean, think about that, how high the heavens are from the earth. And some of you guys, you work in the trades, like you got a, a tape measure for that one, right? How high, like, like think about how, how, how high that would be. If you just measure the width of, the, of our galaxy, the Milky Way, if you would travel at the speed of light from one end to the, if you want to get to the edge of the Milky Way and you're traveling at the speed of light, which is, which is just under 300,000 kilometers a second, all right? You're traveling that way. To get to the edge of the Milky Way would take you 100,000 years. To get to the edge of the, the known universe, where, what scientists say we think this is kind of the, the size of the universe right now, to get to the edge of that, traveling again at the speed of light, 300,000 kilometers a second, it would take you 15.5 billion years. And this is the picture God chose to give us to measure his love for you. And listen, listen, that's the resource you have in you as a child of God to, to live out the same kind of love. I mean, maybe you're a parent here and, 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 and you have those days where your kids look a lot less like those precious moment figurines and they look more like a possessed Chucky doll, right? <laughs> and you feel like you're, you're about to lose it. it. It's there that you align your heart, that, that, that you say, God, you're transforming me with your love and I'm filled with your love that I now can pour out on my kids. Maybe you're a working parent and you're coming home from a day that's been so long and so hard and you're driving in to your, to your driveway. You're like, Man, I just want time for myself. I want me time. I want to hide out and huddle up. I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to see my family right now. And what do you do in that moment? You, you align your heart to remember that Jesus rescued you and he's transformed you and he is transforming you right now with his love so, so that you can step through that door. And you can say, I'm going to be a loving parent tonight. I'm going to be a loving spouse tonight. Even though I feel empty, I'm not empty because God's spirit's in me. Maybe you have siblings and, and your brothers and sisters in the house, man, they always look like they're out of alignment, right? And they, they irritate you so much and, and you secretly wish that your parents had chosen to just have an only child and it's a problem for you because you're the second or third child. Like that wouldn't even work, Right? You need to remind yourself of the gospel that 
God who is love is at work right now transforming you by his love so that you can be a person who loves. Maybe here this morning you're finding it hard to love people around you, whether it be family or friends or people here in church or at your workplace. And and it's so much easier to just hide out. It's so much easier just to avoid. It's so much easier to be apathetic. It feels good to be bitter and angry. And in that moment, as you see your hearts unaligned, you remind yourself again that this is why Jesus came. Jesus came to transform me, that I have the capacity to love because he's rescuing me. He's rescuing me from me. Or maybe you're here this morning and you find it hard to even grab a hold of this reality that God loves you. And you're coming to church and maybe you've been coming for a while. Maybe this is your first Sunday and you're like, man, I I wouldn't call myself a Christ follower. And you you would say, I I don't even know if I kind of even understand what this is. And and I got to get some stuff together, man. You you don't understand what's in my heart and my life and my past. And I'll get that fixed up and and then maybe I'll I'll come back to church. And then maybe I'll see about, about pursuing God. And listen, you're missing the love of God then. The good news is that when you weren't loving him, he was loving you. You don't need to get things together. You you don't clean yourself up to come to Jesus. You come to the cross of Christ and it's there that he completely transforms you. You align your heart. You do what we call repentance. We say, I'm not gonna pursue that anymore. I'm not gonna misalign my heart towards those things anymore. I wanna come and I wanna seek Christ. In repentance, you come and say, Lord, I want you. I want you to be my treasure. Would you take my sin and my brokenness and my shame and you turn to Christ as your hope? Now for you as a Christ follower, you you can see where all this leads to and you understand he's your source. Look at verse 11. It says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Here's our third point this morning. It's this, I look most like my father when I love. This is where it all turns to. When you, when you align your heart with a source of love, you begin to look like your father when, when you begin to love. John says, we look like God. It's the, it's the evidence of the spirit in us. He says, no one's ever seen God. Remember in, in Exodus 33, Moses asked to, he says, hey God, I want to see you face to face. And God's like, you can't. I am so holy. It would be like Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, face melt off Nazi kind of thing, right? Because of his holiness. You can't see God. No one's ever seen God. And what, do you, what does he say? John says, when you love, when you love people, listen, Harvest, when we love each other, people will see God at work. We make the invisible God visible in how we love each other. The, the ultimate apologetic is not how well we can defend our faith and prove that who Jesus is. The greatest apologetic for a watching world looking in, Jesus says, is how we love each other, how we come alongside each other, how we sacrifice for each other. The, the most powerful proof of the spirit of God at work in your heart is an active, selfless, sacrificing love for each other. And John says in verse 11, we ought to love each other. It's something we do. This is our calling. As husbands, we ought to love. As wives, we ought to love. As parents, we ought to love. As young adults, we ought to love. As students, we ought to love. As kids, we ought to love. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we ought to love. 
But there's something else about that word ought to love. Another way of looking at it, yes, it's a command, but it also has this kind of like, well, this is what we do. Like a fish ought to swim. A bird ought to fly. An athlete ought to run. Fire ought to be hot. Christians ought to love. It's what you do. In the same way, you don't, you don't take your cat and put it in a, in a fish bowl. Maybe you would, because that would be hilarious, right? No, you don't, you don't do that. You don't make your fish use a kitty litter, right? No, no, that's not ought, how, they, how they ought to live. In the same way, it's not how we were created to be. When we, when we walk in coldness and apathy and anger, listen, we, we weren't transformed for that. The most satisfying, the most fulfilling way for us to live, the, the happiest life of deep abiding contentment is found in a life of love. And when the world steps in and says, no, 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 the way to be happy is to make life all about you, to be absorbed in you, put you first. Listen, it's a lie from hell. It's, it, it's, it's what drives the heart sickness in our world. It's us misaligning our hearts saying, I'm going to step out of where God promises fulfillment and life and abiding, and I'm going to step over here and pursue love this way. We get unaligned and it hurts. We, we ought to love. It's what we were created in Christ to have the ability to do. So let me ask this. How many times in this week, this past week, were, were you living like a, like a cat in a fishbowl? Maybe in your marriage, maybe in your parenting, maybe in your school or your workplace, maybe in your friendships, maybe even here at church. We ought to love. It's the spirit in us. Real quickly as we close. Our last point this morning is this. Love is lived out. Love is lived out. Listen, when, you, when you've been changed by Jesus, you, you begin to, to love like Jesus. So, so let me just real quickly give us five ways that this can be lived out. Five ways we can see this with Christ as our example, with what John's laying out for us here. Here's the first way we can live this out. We give love first. Give love first. Verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. We, okay, well, I want to live like Jesus, then I want to give love first. Jesus acted first. When Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, he didn't wait for them to wash his feet first. He didn't wait to see how they were going to act or react. He, he knew they were a bunch of doughheads. He goes, I'm going I'm to do this anyway. He put the towel on and he washed their feet. He extended love. Listen, don't wait for others to love you. Take the initiative. Just like Jesus, go to people, get involved in people's lives, see what people need, respond to people, love your family this way. Moms and dads, love your kids this way. Kids, love your parents and, and, and your siblings this way. All of us, lo love, our, love our friends this way, love each other this way. Listen, if you've been coming to Harvest here and wondering, is this a loving church? And you're sitting back going, how will they love me? Will they reach out to me? Let's see if they really love me. Let's see if they meet my needs. Or maybe, maybe you're here and you're lamenting. I wonder if anyone loves me here. I mean, let's commit to stop waiting for love and let's step out. Let's start giving it out first like Jesus did. Amen? Give love first. Here's a second thing we can do. We can show mercy when it's undeserved. We can show mercy when it's undeserved. Remember, remember the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus? 
And as it's told in Luke, you got this Zacchaeus guy who's ripped off hundreds of people to make himself rich. And, and he climbs up in this tree to see Jesus. And Jesus steps up to Zacchaeus. Despite the fact that he's a sinner, despite the fact that he's ripped people off, despite the fact that he deserved to be punished for his sin, Jesus showed mercy. Jesus went to his house for lunch. When's the last time you've had an opportunity to do that, to, to withhold punishment that was deserved? When you are wronged by somebody and you love them in return. Now listen, listen, I, I believe sometimes the best way to love someone is to confront wrongdoing. I, I think it's a great way to love someone, to step in when something's not right, when they are misaligned, when there is sin. It is loving to step in on that. If I look at verse 17, it says, by this is God's love perfected with us. This idea of being perfected, it's, it's maturing, it's growing. That God's love is not a wimpy love. It's not passive, it's, it's active. It, it presses in and it matures us, it changes us. And we, we don't want to be left immature. It, when my kids were little and they couldn't feed themselves, which is, they just cram stuff in their face and they spit their food up, that's okay as a baby. But if I take my girls out for breakfast and they start doing that at the restaurant, that's not okay. Right? We expect maturity and growing and, and God's love is like that in our life where he's saying, I'm perfecting you, I'm changing you. So sometimes God's love can be fierce. And so we're not gonna be afraid to confront sin where there's sin here at Harvest. We're not gonna do it meanly. We're not gonna do it harshly. We're gonna do it lovingly. We're gonna call you to repentance. We're gonna call you to wholeness all from a place of understanding God's love poured out on us. His patience for us. When, when you align your heart that way, you, you begin to speak with, with grace, with mercy, even as you confront sin. A way to act out in love is to show mercy. Here's a third way. Act on the impulse. Act on the impulse. I mean, there are times where, where you're praying, God, I want to live this out. I want to I show love. How do I do this? And, and God begins to move in your heart and says, here's something you need to do. I mean, I love how Jesus in, in Mark 14, it says he was moved with compassion when he saw the hunger of the people. And so he fed 5,000 people. It wasn't that Jesus said, wow, they're all so hungry and lost. Man, that sucks. No, he said, I'm gonna do something about it. I'm gonna act on this impulse. I mean, I love when I hear in our church, I hear these stories all the time. Just, just a little while, I heard a story of somebody who says, man, I was just praying for somebody and I just felt the spirit pressing in my heart. You need to call them. And so they called them and, and the person answered the phone and she was like, man, how did you know to call me today? Man, I was, I was feeling so alone today. And they had this sweet time together. Why? Because God's spirit at work prompting us. Listen, if, if God's spirit prompts you to love, act on it. Step forward and do something with it. Give if God's prompting you to give. Come alongside the person God's calling you to come alongside. Pray for, move out, do something, have the conversation. Let's act on the impulse. Fourthly, here's another way we can love. Love when it's hard. You read through 1 John 4, 7 to 21, and you see God's love for us, not an easy love. He's loved us when we were his enemies. You see Jesus when he was on earth, and he, he, you see people hanging out with him. You see lepers hanging out with Jesus. Lepers were the person who nobody wanted to be around those guys. They were shunned and avoided by everyone, and yet Jesus, rather than avoiding them, he reached out to them to touch them, to care for them to pray for them. Listen, loving each other in this kind of love means loving even when it's hard. 
Loving those who don't love back. Loving those who are rough around the edges. Loving, listen, those who are different than you are. If you look around our church, you'll see that there's, there's a lot of busted up sinful people here, right? And I've used this analogy before that the church is a bit like a hospital. And, and nobody, nobody walks into a hospital and steps into the hospital and go, man, there's a lot of sick people in here. This hospital's awful. No one does that. Or you step in and you expect that in, in a hospital there's going to be sick people there. There's going to be people caring for sick people there. Listen, that's what we've been called to. And maybe you step in here and you go, you know what? I'm not the person. You talk about brokenness and this and, and making choices that aren't good choices in the past. Listen, man, I'm, I'm trusting in the Lord. I, I'm walking in the Spirit. Man, I'm filled with His love. Then what you're called to do is to grab somebody else who's not and come alongside them. If we're going to love one another like Jesus, we're, we're going to reach out to people even when it's hard and step into messes that are difficult. Here's the, here's the last thing. Sacrifice in love. John says, if, if you see somebody in need and you don't reach out to them and you say, I love God, he says, you're a liar. You can't love God. If you see a need and don't step out, we, we sacrifice in love. And that's the whole point where, where John's explaining about Christ as our example. He gave everything for us. I mean, does that characterize your love? Does that characterize how you live your life to, to those around you? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to step in and to love someone, to get, to get dirt under your fingernails, to get involved even when you know it's going to sap you? Listen, it's a hard way to do church. I get it. It's way easier to say, you know what? Why don't we let the pastors take care of that? That's not church. It's where we step in and say, I want to get involved into this. We can't be a church with, with people on the sidelines. We, we need everyone to step in, to sacrifice, to live out this, this act of sacrificial love with our time, our effort, our finances, our energy. To say, I want to love the people around me. Listen, inconvenience and sacrifice is the normal for the Christian life. It's what we do. And we love like Jesus. So listen, as, as the worship team comes up this morning, as we end off this morning, you know, Jesus said this, by this will all people know you're my disciples, by the love you have for each other. And this kind of love that we have for each other, it gets right to the heart of who God is. Where John says God is love. It gets right to the center of the heart of the gospel that, that love was poured out for you and for me. I mean, God's changed you. He's transformed you to be able to live out this kind of love, to represent him to a watching world. And yes, it's difficult to do, but when we come to the end of ourselves with this kind of love, we say, but I've got a resource in God. But my treasure is Christ. For his glory, I'll live this out and he will shine through me now because I can't love this way. And how much we still need to be rescued. How much we need to continue to celebrate God's love poured out for us. This is the kind of love we're called to. This is the kind of love we're created by Christ to live out. Here's my prayer, that we would live in such a way that the world would watch in on, on, on how we love each other. And they would say, man, I don't know what these people are about, man. I don't get the whole singing thing. I don't get that preachy guy at the front there. But man, these people love each other.
We can't do that without our foundation, without our hearts aligned, saying, Christ, you love me first. I'm now gonna pour that love out. Would you stand with me as I pray? Lord God, I thank you so much for your love demonstrated to us, made manifest to us, Lord Jesus, in your sacrifice on our behalf. And that, that you didn't stay dead, that sin did not hold you down, but you conquered sin and death. You were resurrected again and, and to, to resurrect our hearts and lives as well. That right now, how we are here is like who you are in heaven, that you poured that righteousness on us. You filled us with your spirit, God. Align our hearts even this morning to that truth. May we never stop being amazed by your amazing grace and your unfailing love. And may our hearts be aligned to that. And out of that, God, would you continue to press us into places where we can, we can demonstrate this love to others. Where we can live in a way how we're ought to live as those who pour out love. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.